Keep going. So um, if you missed it, the bo- that passage we'll be looking at is on page, what's well, on page 926, uh, the passage we'll get from Jonah 2. Well, I wonder if you think that God listens to you. Do you wonder if God listens to you? And if you were to pray in a way that God would listen, what would you say? And what sort of person would you need to be when you say it? What I find interesting about the prayer we looked at this morning is that it's a prayer that God listens to. And God listens to it even though Jonah is weak and the prayer itself, I think, is not perfect. Um, I've divided this morning's talk into three parts and that is God answers our cry of distress or God answers it. God answers even when we think he may not in spite of various stuff about us. And uh, the place to look is to look to God's temple. So firstly, God answers our cry of distress. Verse 2, Jonah says, In my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. See, that is God, the pattern God has set. God listens to cries of distress and he answers. And it's not just Jonah. Have a look at Psalm, let's see if I can drive this from up here, um, Psalm 107. So this is a quote from Psalm 107. And it says, Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the outer darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wondrous deeds for mankind. See, that's the nature of the God we have. He's not a God who finds fault, finds reasons to say no. He's a a God who finds reasons to say yes. He listens to his people. He responds to them. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think I need to be good enough for God. I think that God really wouldn't want someone who wasn't up to it. But it's almost the opposite. In fact, it is the opposite. When we're in trouble, when we have nothing, that's when God answers prayers. See, Jonah was, in the middle of verse 2, deep in the realm of the dead when God listened to his cry. And Jesus taught a similar thing when in Matthew he talks about little children. This is quoting Jesus. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. See, it's not about being good enough for God. It's in fact being humble enough or small enough or coming with nothing. Some of you know that I did karate for quite a few years. I was going to bring my um, karate jacket and maybe a belt along, but I forgot. So, you know, that's all you've got. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what really struck me when I started karate was how similar so many things were about karate to about um, being a Christian or about church. When I started karate, uh, I was at a place, at a hall near where we live, and um, it was a karate church plant, I used to call it. And they met in the same hall as we did, where we're going to in a couple of weeks' time, in Holfast Bay Community Church, and they planted another one there. And that in itself was a plant from, I think, Salisbury. And it was just like, wow, this is so similar to us. 
And there are different karate organisations. Just like Christianity has different dominations, there are all these, you know, I was part of the JKA karate group, which was Japan Karate Association. And even within the JKA, there were different organisations. So we were the Southern Cross, something or other, of the Japan Karate Association. And it was just, I was like, wow, this is just so much like what we find in church. And the other thing is, if you don't go to karate on a regular basis, your karate tends to go backwards. Hmm, okay. So, um, the word karate actually, actually has a meaning. And it comes from kara, which means empty, and tei, which means hand. So karate means empty hand, uh, which is a way of saying that they fight without sticks or knives or swords or guns. But just as you come to karate with empty hands, so that's the way we come to God, isn't it? With empty hands because we have nothing to offer. Jesus says we must become like little children. That is, lowly and unimportant. You know, little children don't bring stuff to you, do they, of value? And that's us. So we don't need to bring something. We just need to cry out to God that's when God answers. But it's more than that. God answers in spite of our guilt. See, last week we saw Jonah was guilty, didn't we? He tried to run from God. God sent a great storm. And Jonah's answer to the storm wasn't to say, hey, let's go back. It was to be thrown overboard. And again, in Psalm 107, the Israelites were in trouble, not because of bad luck or because of a bad enemy, but because of what they'd done. Psalm 107 verse 11. Because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. And we are no different. Paul's letter to the Ephesians says this. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. See, it's not that uh, God just addresses people who are all good, who have it all together. In fact, it's the opposite. He answers the guilty. He answers even though we are guilty. And he answers even though he's the judge. He answers in spite of his judgment. See, God brought the trouble on Jonah, didn't he? It wasn't just um, some unlucky thing, some natural event. Uh, God brought the trouble on Jonah, as Jonah acknowledges. Verse 3. You held me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's the judgment of God. And the Israelites in Psalm 107. I don't know if you picked it up before, but here it is again. So he, that is God, subjected them to bitter labour. They stumbled and there was no one to help. But who subjected them? It was God. And even though it's God who's making the trouble, God is also happy to lift that trouble. It reminds me of are the young children. I don't know if you've seen the thing where these young children think, oh, I'm going to, I know what mum wants me to do, or dad, I'm not going to do it, I'm going to do the opposite. And then they get in trouble. And so they cry. And then after they cry, what do they do? They look to the mum or the dad who's got them in trouble to comfort them. It's kind of funny, isn't it? But yet, it's a bit the same with God, isn't it? God is the one who is causing our pain, if you like, but yet he's the one 
we should turn to. Even though God sent the trouble to Jonah, God still answers when Jonah calls to him. And he saves us from his anger too. This beautiful verse from John 3. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. Why? For God's wrath remains on them. So the way to get rid of God's wrath is to turn to him. So God answers even when we are guilty and even though he causes us trouble. But he also answers from the impossible. You see Jonah's situation? Uh, Starting from verse 5, Jonah describes it as, The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. So there we have Jonah. I presume like most people in the history of mankind, Jonah couldn't swim. And he was thrown into the ocean, but not just any ocean, an ocean that was stormy and trouble. And not only was he in the ocean, but he was then down in the depths, wrapped in seaweed, barred in forever, as good as dead, but not for God. Nothing's impossible for God. Jonah saved him. And interestingly then, he saves us. Look at the second bit there. It's from Mark 10, verse 25. It says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I wonder if you've heard people object to becoming Christians because they say something like, you know, it's too late for me. You know, I'm too old. I'm past it. Well, really? Jonah was almost dead and it wasn't too late for him. Well, they say, you don't know what I'm like. Well, no, I don't know what you're like, really, although kind of I do. But I know what I'm like. I know what Jonah was like. And the life of the Jonah and the rest of the Bible shows us that God listens, even despite what we're like. He listens uh, when it seems impossible, and he listens despite us not being perfect. Jonah wasn't perfect, was he? He was running away from God. And even his prayer inside the fish looks not quite right. He doesn't say sorry. He doesn't say, I'll head to Nineveh now. And verses 8 and 9 seem just a bit much. Verse 8. Uh, from Jonah 2. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And you think, really, Jonah? Those who cling to worthless idols? You were sent to them and you refused to go. Those actions, those sailors on the boat... They made you look ridiculous, really. They followed God. They worshipped God while you were running away. And yet you want to compare yourself with them? Do you notice the use of the word I in verse 9? But I, with songs of, with shouts of grateful praise. And then a bit later, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say. 
It sounds a bit much like Jonah's calling the shots, really, doesn't it? Instead of God being God, Jonah wants to be God. And I wonder if the way Jonah came out of the fish shows a bit what God thought of it. You know, verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish and it placed Jonah on dry land. Does it say that? Set him there gently? No? No, what does it say? Oh, vomited. And he vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, you might say maybe I'm reading a bit much into it. You know, it's almost like the fish has gone, enough of this rubbish. Get out of here. You've been inside three days, enough already. And just in case you think maybe, maybe Jonah is okay, actually, if we skip ahead a few chapters, we'll see that Jonah's not okay. He hasn't quite yet figured out where he belongs with God and where God belongs with others. But despite all that, despite Jonah big noting himself, God still listens. He responds. He saves his life. It's a story a bit like the prodigal son. See, as we look through uh, Jonah, Jonah is like the various bits of the prodigal son. In here, he's like the son who runs away. You know the story of the prodigal son? He asks his dad for his inheritance. He gets the money. He takes it, goes off, spends it, realizes he's in trouble, thinks he'd be better off as a servant in his father's house. So we pick up the story here. So he, that is the son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, did you notice what? I'll just go back to it. Did you notice what the son said? The son said before the father accepted him. Did you notice? Actually, nothing, did he? he all he did was start coming back. The father saw him and ran and had compassion on him pretty clear the father in this story is God the father's love is so great just the slightest turn to him and the father reacts that's what God is like he's so loving it's scandalous really but like the son who came home who knew that there was a better life with his father Jonah did have one thing correct Jonah is right in where he looks See, he looks to somewhere we might think it's a bit odd. He looks to God's temple. He said, verse 4, I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And then verse 7, When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. There's a picture of the temple. That's what it looks like, um, roughly. There's the sacrifices out the front. That's where he looked. Why did he do that? Well, Solomon's prayer gives us a hint. Solomon uh, built the temple, and when he finished building the temple, he prayed. And this is part of his prayer from 1 Kings 8. 
He said, when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to their enemies who take them captive to their own lands, far away or near, and if they have a change of heart in the land where they are held captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captives and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong, we have acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you with all their heart and soul in the land of their enemies who took them captive, and pray to you toward the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen, and the temple I built for your name. Then from, then from heaven, your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their plea, and uphold their cause. See, that was the attitude of uh, the Old Testament Israelites. You look towards that place, that temple where God had put his name, Jerusalem, where God had put his name. The temple, of course, was in Jerusalem. Daniel did a similar thing. Do you remember how Daniel's in Babylon? Gets in trouble? This is what it says in Daniel 6. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. See, that was the Old Testament, wasn't it? You look towards Jerusalem, the place where God had put his name, to the temple, which was in Jerusalem, where God had put his name. But just like they look towards the temple, so also we look towards a temple. But a temple of a different variety. John 2. Jesus in discussion with some people and he answered them. Destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you were going to raise it in three days? The temple he had spoken of was his body. See, we don't have the temple made of stones and wood, and stuff like that. We have a much better temple, a temple that's Jesus. And just as it made sense for the Israelites to look to the temple, so it makes sense for us to look to Jesus. And I want to have a quick look at a passage from John. But before we do, I want to look at the background. You know the great story of the snake, the snake in the desert, the snake on a pole, after the Israelites had sinned. Um, This is it from Numbers 21. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who's bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. So Jesus refers to that story. And he says from John 3, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him So everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then the famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. See, just as God saved Jonah when Jonah looked to the temple, so he saves the Israelites when they look to the snake in the desert, and so he saved us, saves us, when we look to Jesus just just like the pattern that God has set, that is the pattern that God will always set. He listens. He longs to listen. He doesn't reject us. He hears our prayers. He hears them even though we are guilty. He hears them even though we may be under his judgment, even when it seems impossible. And he answers our prayers, listens to them, even, we're not, even though we're not perfect.
God loves to hear us and to welcome us, just like he listened to Jonah and saved him. Well, we're going to have a couple of minutes now of uh, quiet prayer. So please um, take a minute or two to uh, thank God for what he's done for us and to pray to him. And Simon will close us off in a minute or so.